scripture reading this morning is from Psalm chapter 1. And I shared with the worship team today that um, in the middle of my final preparation this morning, um, after I'd already been up and studying and in the Word for a while, the Lord spoke to me and said, Amber, the message you have is not for today. So anyone who's preached before knows that when you hear that at 7 a.m. on a Sunday morning, you get a little panicky. <laughs> and I think, Lord willing, I do believe that we're still going to continue through the book of Jude um, in later Sundays. But this morning, the Lord wanted to change up the plan. And so we're just going to look at the truth in Psalm 1 this morning. And I believe that God wants to minister to his people. Can you hear an amen? Do you believe God wants to minister to you this morning? Say amen. Did you want to hear him speak to you this morning? Say amen. 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 Let's hear the word of the Lord. Psalm chapter 1. I'm reading from the King James this morning. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth, shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff, which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. My favorite translation of that phrase is actually in the New Living, and it translates it, Oh, the joys of. Oh, the joys of the man. Now, I like the idea of joy. I want to be a person of joy, a person filled with and overflowing with joy, a joy that is not hampered or determined by my external circumstances, a joy that is internal and unthreatened, that comes from the Lord himself. And this psalm, the beginning of the Psalter, is about to tell us who this person is who has an incredible amount of joy. And first it says, it's the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. I was thinking about, in my lifetime, all the different junctures where there was a lot of advice that was offered to me from a lot of different sources. I started thinking about different seasons of life when a lot of advice was given my way. And I kind of landed on one season as a time when I got a lot of advice. And it was around the time that I was going to be graduating from high school. 
at the time of a pretty big crossroads, lots of decisions to be made. One of the biggest ones was, will you go to college, and if so, which one, and well, how does that impact what you're going to study, and what you think you should study, and what profession are you choosing, and what are you going to do with your life? <laughs> There's a lot of questions to be answered at that point in life, in the way that our society functions, and there were a lot of people who gave me counsel. There were people from a lot of different angles that gave me advice. I got advice from teachers on what they thought I should major in in school and what they could see me doing. I got advice from my parents about especially thinking around, you know, what's financially responsible and where can you afford to go and what impact will that have. I got advice from other family members and friends with different kinds of concerns for me. There was a counselor at school whose job was to give advice about the process of applying for school and thinking about the future. There was advice that came from all different directions. And let me tell you, there were some people who were very disappointed that I did not at all take their advice. Because there were some who were like, hey Amber, you really should go to this school or this school or this school because a degree from that school would open up all kinds of doors career-wise. Or you really should study this because this is an area that we think you could excel in so that you could make a lot of money. And I remember when it became public knowledge that I had decided not to go to the schools that were of good repute in the eyes of the world, and that I had not decided in the long run to study something that in the eyes of the world would give me financial security. And there were a lot of people who were a little concerned that I hadn't taken their advice, and they offered more advice. I remember one specific conversation when I was being a little bit interrogated about what I decided to study, I just declared a youth ministries and Bible major. And a person with such concern for me was saying, you know, like there's just no, no financial security. How are you going to take care of yourself? What if you don't get married? How are you going to be provided for? And I remember in that moment, really having to play a trump card in my mind. And I'm like, look, there's no more secure place to be than in the center of God's will. Because the reality was that the person in that conversation who was giving me advice was not a godly person. They were an ungodly person. And this scripture says, oh, the joys of those of the man who does not walk in the counsel or the advice of the ungodly. Walk is a metaphor for practicing. Friends, there's all kinds of people and sources out there to give us advice and counsel. And in the eyes of the world, there can be advice and counsel that sounds really smart, but it doesn't come with the promise of blessing and joy if it's counsel and advice that's coming from the ungodly. If you remember from our study in Jude so far, we talked about the Greek word for the ungodly and how at the base of its meaning, it's the idea of someone who lacks fear of God and respect for God. It's someone whose worldview is not painted with an understanding as God is the divine authority, the ultimate authority, the ultimate 
power. And if people don't have that perspective, they can't give godly counsel. They give worldly counsel. And worldly counsel might lead to wealth, but it won't lead to joy. Oh, the joys of the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Second, nor standeth in the way of sinners. It's one thing to practice some advice periodically. It's another thing to plant yourselves, to stand in the way of sinners. If the ungodly are those who lack a healthy fear and respect for God, sinners are convicted criminals. The proof is in the pudding. They deserve judgment and destruction. And their way or their mode of living, their moral conduct, the course of their life is in opposition to God's character and law. And if we find ourselves standing in that same way that is in opposition to God, there is not joy to be found there. Scripture tells us that there is pleasure in sin for a season. There's fleshly gratification, but there's not joy. Not something that goes deep, not something that brings contentment, not something that sustains us. The pleasures of sin leave us constantly craving for more. Never satisfying, never bringing about joy. But in fact, the way of the sinners, the only way we're to have contact with the way of sinners is in letting people know that it's the wrong way and that they can learn the right way. If we look at Psalm 25, verse 8, it says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. God's way is where joy is found. God's way that reflects his moral character, that follows the course that he has laid out for people. And there's joy in that. And so because God is good, he will teach sinners that the way of sin is the wrong way. And he'll invite them through the blood of Jesus to begin to stand in the right way. To have his character, to live according to his expectations. Look at Psalm 51, 13. It says, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. The right ways are the ways of God, the way he approaches life. And so God in his goodness is willing to show people the right way. And he asks us to show people the right way. We don't show people the right way by joining them in the wrong way. There's no joy to be found there. And then third, this person that is full of joy does not sit in the seat of the scorn. So the godly are those who lack a proper fear of God. The sinners are those who are committing these acts. They're guilty of things that make them worthy of destruction. But God in his mercy offers to pull them out of that way. The scornful, these are mockers. People that speak arrogantly against God. 
It's the furthest extreme on this spectrum, from someone who lacks a proper fear, to someone who is living in defiance as a sinner, to someone who high-handedly and arrogantly speaks against God and willfully rebels against his authority. And the word to sit is the same word that's used to dwell or to abide, to remain or to stay. And the seat is the same word as a dwelling place. I want you to see that there's a progression here. And it starts with simply going to the wrong people for advice and counsel who don't have a godly worldview and allowing that counsel to impact little areas of your life to then eventually finding yourself spending a lot of time standing in the way of sinners to eventually taking up residence in a seat of arrogance and mockery towards God. We don't want to have anything to do with this progression. And it's those who avoid it, who stay away from it, that experience the joys of the Lord. Look at Proverbs 3.34 about the scornful, the mockers. It says, Surely he, meaning the Lord, scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. The New Living Translation puts it, The Lord mocks the mockers. We do not want to be in a position of being mocked by God Almighty. So instead, we want to take a humble position under him and submitting to his authority. Then Isaiah 29, verse 20, says, For the terrible one is brought to naught, and the scorner, the mocker, is consumed, and all that watch for iniquity are cut off. Now here's the thing. In the world that we live in, the only way to really take up residence here is to be among the scorners. We're to be on a journey as pilgrims. And sometimes that journey to the promised land of heaven can be weary because we're just walking. And we're walking in the counsel of the Lord, not in the counsel of the ungodly. And as we're walking, we're seeing people who have settled down. They're sitting. It seems like life here is good for them. It's easier. Have you ever been in that situation where there's not enough seats? And so you're the one person in a setting that can't sit down while other people are sitting. And you kind of start to envy. <laughs> like... You're like, man, like somebody could just give up their seat for a little bit. Like, my feet are getting tired. I think that spiritually we get like that sometimes as we see people in this world who have made themselves at home. They're seated. We're not home yet. And so we don't sit. We don't stay. We don't remain. We don't abide. The ways of this world are not our ways. We don't stay put here. We're on a journey. And we want to Godly counsel, godly direction to guide us on our way. Look at verse 2. This man who is blessed, who is filled with joys, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. The Lord's law could also be translated as the Lord's instruction. 
the Lord's guidance. Here's the key to this passage. We are to be walking through this world, through this life, but we don't walk according to the counsel of the ungodly. We walk according to God's counsel, according to his instruction. We take delight in his instruction. And that's where we find our joy. says that he meditates on it day and night. To meditate, kind of a literal translation of that, is to mumble or recite under your breath. We talked about this in Sunday Night Bible Study when we talked about the discipline of meditating on Scripture. But when we meditate, it's this idea that it's this program that's running in the background constantly, that we're chewing on God's Word. I used this example in our Sunday night Bible study, and I'll use it again. When I first moved to New Zealand, I was trying to learn words that were very foreign to my tongue. And anybody who has learned a language that's not their heart language knows that experience of trying to learn how to pronounce a word that has sounds in it that you're just not used to, to making. And so there were lots of words that I would stumble over constantly. And there was one word that I was trying to learn a particular week. It was the name of a bird. And this bird, the name of it was spelled P-U-K-E-K-O. Puko. No, I struggled to pronounce these Maori sounds. And so I would constantly, throughout the day, be murmuring under my breath, trying to say the name of this bird. Pukeko. 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 Trying to figure out where the, the accent was, trying to figure out how the vowels were pronounced. And so without even realizing it, I am actually doing this, whispering it under my breath one day while I'm in the car with a friend. And she's like, Amber, right now it's like you're crazy. <laughs> Why do you keep saying you can't go over and over and over again? And of course she said it the way it was supposed to be said, and I just was further frustrated that I couldn't get my tongue to say it that way. But friends, we're to be murmuring God's instructions over ourselves day and night. Feasting on it, chewing on it over and over again. Why is that so important? Because the counsel that's coming at us from all sides is not this. If we just read it, a chapter in the morning, we hear it preached on a Sunday, but then we aren't meditating on it day and night throughout our days, there's advice and counsel that's coming at us from this world subconsciously, subtly, and it is not the instruction of the Lord. And if we want to be these blessed people, we have to learn to meditate on this day and night. The Lord's word becomes our counselor that then shapes our way of life and becomes our dwelling place. I want to dwell in the word of the Lord now to prepare me for the day when I dwell in the word of the Lord.
2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 tells us all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Meditating on this day and night will perfect you. It will change you. It will transform you. And when you delight in his word as it changes you, you find joy. Look at verse 3 that goes on to explain how we relate to the instructions of the Lord. It says, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The word of God is like a stream of water. And when we choose to meditate on the word day and night, then we're like a tree that's planted next to that stream that has an ample, ever-flowing, ever-providing stream of water to nourish it. But how many of us approach our Christian life like a tree that gets transplanted every morning and every evening? I'll plant by the stream while I have my morning devotions, but then I'll plant by the TV, or I'll plant by the gossip in the break room at work, or I'll plant by whatever's playing on the radio, or I'll plant by the, the conversations of worldly people around me, or I'll plant by the drama that's going on in other people's worlds. And then at night when it's time for our prayers, okay, now I'm going to be transplanted again back to the stream. That tree does not flourish be traumatized. You can't go transplanting a tree every morning and every night. What are you going to be planted in? What do you want to be planted by? What are you going to meditate on day and night? But this tree that is planted by the streams of living water, it produces fruit in its season. What kind of fruit? Galatians 5, 22-23 List the initial fruit that needs to be produced. It's the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, gentleness or kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance, or self-control. Against such there is no law. If you want to have the fruit of the Spirit produced in your life, you have to plant by the stream. Which means this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, interpreted and applied by the Holy Spirit, day and night. Chewing the cud like a cow. Chewing it over and over and over again to get all the nutrients out of it that are there. Look with me at Matthew 13, 23. Jesus has been talking about the parable of the sower and the seed. 
It says, but he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth what? The word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some and hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Now this is not talking about the fruit of the Spirit. You don't get to pick which fruits of the Spirit that your life will produce, okay? Your life needs to produce all of them. This is talking about kingdom fruit, the fruit of seeing others come to Christ, the fruit of discipleship, the fruits of ministry. And God in his providence will assign to each of us different kinds, different amounts of fruit. But when the word is planted in us and we are planted in the word and in the streams of life that flow through his word by his Holy Spirit, then God will produce kingdom fruit through us. He'll make a difference through us in its proper season. Sometimes we miss that part. We can get very impatient about what kind of fruit we want God to produce through our lives about when we want him to produce it. The tree that's planted by the waters will produce it when it's time. There might be people in your life that you so desperately want to be fruit of your life, that you want to see them know Jesus. You want to see them changed. And God says, plant by the stream. He'll produce fruit at the proper time. We don't get to pick that. And it may well be that that fruit will be fruit that he produces through someone else's life. Maybe it's not part of your 30-fold or your 60-fold or your 100-fold. But a tree that's planted by the waters, a tree that has the word of God planted in it, will produce fruit in its proper time. It doesn't wither. It's well-nourished and cared for by that stream. Friends, our spiritual lives don't have to wane. They don't have to wither. They can be healthy. They can be strong in the Lord. And prospers, not prospers in the ways of the world, but prospers in the way of the Lord. Look at Verse 4 says, The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. The people who are much more at home in this world, they can kind of put their feet up and relax. Their lives are not going to be like the tree planted by the water. Instead, they're compared to chaff. So this is talking about a process in harvesting grain. So first the grain would be reaped, they go out and pull it out from the fields. Next, it would be threshed. The threshing process is pretty violent. It's like a crushing process to begin to separate that outer kernel that's not good from the inner kernel of the grain that is. It's a violent crushing process. And then comes the winnowing. And in the winnowing, all the grain in the chaff is thrown up into the air, and the grain, because it has value and weight, it falls back to the ground, but the chaff is light, and it blows away in the wind. And God is saying in the same way that the ungodly, 
the people that have made themselves at home in this world, they're useless for the next. They're aimless and they're disappearing. Their time is short. Don't look at the people that are seated in the seat of scorners and the envy of their comfort because their time is short and they have no place in the life to come. Verse 5, therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Those who stand in the way of sinners won't stand in the judgment of the congregation of the righteous. So thus, we don't stand in that broad way where everybody else is standing. We don't have a place right now. But those who stand there now will not stand at the judgment. Their time is short. They won't belong then. We want to belong then and experience the joys of God's kingdom now while we live as pilgrims and aliens in this world. And in verse 6, I believe that God wants to minister to someone through this this morning, especially. It says, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. This is an intimate phrase, saying that God has intimate knowledge about the course of your life. If you're one of his people, it means that he cares about the course of your life. The New Living translates it that he watches over the way of the righteous. It can be tired walking through a world that is not our home. But the Lord wants you to know that he sees you, that he cares about you, that nothing that you're facing is outside of his sight, and that he's watching over you. The Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. If you're one of the righteous, can you just say that to yourself? The Lord knows the way of Amy. You say it for yourself right now, out loud. The Lord knows the way of... Like you mean it. Let's try it again. The Lord knows the way of Andrew. He knows our way. He's watching and he cares. And we can take great joy in that. That God takes notice of us. That he sees us. That he sees our path. The way of the ungodly shall perish. I heard this passage preached at a conference in Australia where an American pastor um, by the, the name of Kyle Ray was preaching. And I kind of love Kyle's preaching. He's a phenomenal, phenomenal messenger of the Lord. If you want to look him up and listen to him. But at this conference in Australia, he was preaching Psalm 1. And kind of his concluding question coming out of verses 2 and 3 about our delight needing to be in the law of the Lord and 
and meditating on it day and night, he asked us this, what are you feasting on? Day. What are you feasting on? Are you feasting on negative thoughts? Are you feasting on media? Are you feasting on reading things that don't impact your spirit in a positive way? Are you feasting on materialistic things of this world? Are you feasting on your social life? What are you feasting on? Because if you're not feasting on the instructions of the Lord, you're malnourishing yourself and you're not going to find these joys that the Lord is talking about. What are you feasting on day and night? What counsel is shaping your way? Who do you go to for advice? Sometimes we need counsel from other people to help us understand and apply the counsel of the Lord. Who do you go to to get advice? Are they people that will handle this word of truth carefully and accurately? Are they people that will constantly point you to the Lord? Where is your mind and spirit dwelling? Is it seated? Is it taking residence in God's word and presence? Are you seated at the right hand with Christ, seated in high places? Or are you seated down here, putting your feet up, making this fallen world your home? Where is your delight? If our delight is anywhere but the Lord in this word, it's misplaced. Can't be in another person. Can't be in an activity. Can't be in money. Where is your delight? On what are you feasting day and night? If you are feasting on his word and his presence, then the Lord this morning knows your way. However, on the flip side of the song, then the Lord is trying to show you His way so that you can line yourself up with it so that you can become this person of great joy and blessing and knowing that the God of the universe cares for God, I ask that you would stir the desire of this people to feast on your word and your spirit's presence day and night. God, I pray that they would begin to unravel their ways of thinking and acting that have actually been influenced by a fallen world. God, that they would begin to replace that counsel, that advice, with the counsel of your scriptures, with godly direction. God, I pray that you would teach each of us how to plant ourselves by your strength. And God, that you produce fruit through us. Please don't let us be like Chad. Lord, we don't want to stand on the broad way now. We want to stand at your judgment. And we don't want to abide here. We want to abide in your eternal kingdom. 
beginning now and lasting in Jesus' name.